Suffer Pod Show was produced and managed by podtalk.co.uk. I'm Mark Mason. And I'm Susanna Hornby. Episode 10. It's the brilliant and majorly talented Africa Green, professional drummer and author who currently works with the Pet Shop Boys, Becky Hill, drum and bass DJ High Contrast. Afi has toured and worked with some of the biggest names in the music business and is about to tell her all in her much-anticipated book, Bright Lights Breakdown. Hailed as an outstanding drummer, here she is, Africa Green. Hello, Afi. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> well, we're honoured to have you, actually. Um, we There's so much we want to talk about, but I think we'll just dive straight in. How did it all start, working with the Pet Shop Boys? Well, it started, basically, I got an email out of the blue from an agent, and it was just in, the email just said PSB. And when I opened it, it was um, asking me if I wanted to do an audition. But I need to rewind a little bit, because... I actually got in contact with that agent about a year before that on a cruise ship that I was doing. It was a Saga cruise ship, so over 50s. Mm -hmm. We were making our way to Norway. And I was like, this is the worst thing I could possibly do for my career. And um, a musician on the boat said, you should try reaching out to this agent. He fixes, you know, musicians for different artists. So I just sent him a couple of videos and my CV and said, you know, you don't know who I am, but, you know, perhaps if anything comes up, could you keep me in mind? And he he said, yeah, I'll keep it on file. And then it was about a year later, he just randomly emailed me. Mm. So, yeah. And the email just said, come for an interview. It said, yeah, it said, come for an audition. Right. And I really had to think about it because I'd had so many knockbacks mm. up until that point. I wasn't sure if I could emotionally handle another another no. Mm. So it wasn't just a case of, oh, let's, you know, go for it. It was a case of actually, am I ready for what I thought was going to be an inevitable no? Mm. So I thought about it and I said to myself, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this, but this will be my last shot at like music. You know, if, if it doesn't work, <laughs> I was going to study neuroscience at cambridge right <laughs> so a little yeah, yeah. yeah okay so that's um i wouldn't have gone for that straight away as an alternative but there you go <laughs> <laughs> obviously you followed it up yeah i did yeah i went for it and um it a sort of floods of emails came through sort of a week after that talking about what the, there was like three or four tunes that we needed to learn we were also going to have to sing um backing vocals as well um and they were just gonna sort of they were saying we'll see on the day which ones that you'll have to, to play mm -hmm. so we had to prepare more than we were actually going to be doing mm. so i had a, quite a lot of fun preparing it was stressful but i had sort of fallen out of love with, with drums a bit um mm. it was collecting dust in the corner of my room because i i didn't see the point of sort of practicing when there wasn't much to show for it so it got me back into the swing of things and I enjoyed that. And I was nervous because you got to see who else was actually auditioning as well. There was a lot of big names and I just thought there was pretty much no way I would be considered amongst, you know, these other mm. other people. But I thought, you know, I've just I've just got to plow on through. So I drove to London and got called into a room that had Neil and Chris, the Pet Shop Boys. Mm -hmm. It had the musical director, it had the manager and the choreographer all sitting on a couch. And there was a <laughs> diagram of this drum kit, which was all electronic and we had to stand up. We didn't know where any of the sounds were and he had to quickly show us. Oh. I'd put the sounds on this drum kit, this Frankenstein setup. And... Um, <laughs> It picked a song and you just had to play and sing. 
Wow. In front of these people, you know, it it was pretty mad, really. Terrifying. Yeah, it was. It really was. And um, I thought, well, you know, I, I, t- I did my best shot. So yeah. I waited for that email. They said, oh, you'll hear from us soon. And then I did. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, I actually, well, I did well. But then they said, I saw at the bottom, there'll be a round two. I wasn't, I hadn't got it. It was just through to the second stage. And then you also got to see who it got whittled down to. So that was quite nerve-wracking because yeah. I was like there's definitely now no way you know and I thought to myself well I'm proud of I've come this far mm. so I better finish that application to Cambridge <laughs> and I was actually playing cricket at the time in Ipswich and I had stopped off in the Tesco's there to pick up some rotisserie chicken to eat in the car park and my phone rang and it was the manager mm-hmm. and he said there won't be a second round of auditions and I was like gearing myself up to be like oh Okay, well, thanks for having me. He said, because you've been picked. And I was just stunned. I was just, (laughs) couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. There was three people, musicians that were picked because they couldn't pick between, they couldn't decide between the three of us. So they Mm. decided they were going to hire all three. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it was a while ago now, but that's just such a fantastic story. and, and, And now, I mean, that was nearly, well, I think it was four years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, you have been full-time drummer for the Pet Shop yep. Boys. Yeah. Right. Yep. So tell us a bit how you work with them. <laughs> well, they, we don't have, we're not involved in the songwriting process. That is between Neil and Chris. So they write, they have a studio mm-hmm. and then they normally send their album or finished studio track to somebody in LA who then will make it sound more ready for a live setting. So it won't be the same as the album version normally. Right. Okay. There, there'll be some sort of, yeah, there'll be some sort of extra live elements because obviously they have a, they have a live band playing with them. So mm-hmm. we need to be doing stuff and um, we can cover a lot more. So I think that's quite exciting. Yeah. So what happens is that get sent back to the musical director and then we're actually we get the stems so what the song is actually made up of and then we are cutting out the fragments of the tracks that could be bass drums snare drums just sounds that we think that we can cover Mm. and then we're placing them onto our instruments keyboards electronic drum kits and whatever and we're discussing amongst ourselves the three of us what air what bits we're going to cover each Mm. and that process is called programming and it's it's it takes quite a long time it's it's a few weeks to do that right and then so you basically put together i I think i'm understanding like a backtrack as that and then play live over the top with all the the glamorous manoeuvres and tricky spectacular looking you know drumming that you do when you're on stage there's so many elements in their songs that the three of us wouldn't be able to cover all of it so some of that is put on what we call playback Mm. so that's being you know fed out to the audience through speakers and we can also hear it in our in-ear monitoring and it just fills things out so that's yeah it's a combination of both yeah I understand. And unfortunately, this year you were meant to be out and about touring the world with the Greatest Hits tour. This is correct. Yeah, mm. but COVID has seen to that for now. It's just been postponed until next year. So I'm pretty sure it's the same date, but just knocked back a year. Yeah, sure. Whereabouts are you so travelling? It's... <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty much meant to be most of the world, yeah, from what I've seen. I mean, there, there are things being added all the time, but mm-hmm. there's definitely an uh, American tour and Europe and the UK. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot. And we did Asia last time, so that's not off the table. We might go back and do it, it again. Might happen again. Yeah. 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 Wow. 
Alfie, when did you first know that you were a drummer? Well, I always tell people that it was the drums that found me. Mm. I mean, before I started playing drums, always been passionate about music. I always used to listen to music on my cassette player and then CD player and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I found drums when I was 14 at school. So I was a bit of a loner and I was walking around the school one lunchtime and managed to find a room that had a drum kit covered up with like an old dust sheet. So mm. I pulled that back, found a mismatched pair of sticks and started <laughs> to tap away. And I kept going back every lunchtime and just trying to play things off my CD player, like from records that I was hearing. It was by chance. And you, you were on your own and you, did you feel like a real release doing it? Yeah, I, I did. It. It, was, it felt like it was the first time in my life that I had something that was mine and also playing those beats it sounds so space cadet like but playing those beats <laughs> it was very much like a mantra like uh very mindful mm. um and i had sort of forgotten about anything else that was bothering me mm. it was like i walked in there with all this emotional baggage and then i just put it down yeah. when i sat at that drum kit so it's it's the power of music's really strong yeah. like people don't realize i don't think no therapeutic yeah. definitely yeah yeah Someone must have heard you or at some point you decided to take professional lessons. So I was actually caught in there. That's how <laughs> the, music, the music teacher was in her room that's off of that practice room. Yeah. And she heard me and she was like, you shouldn't be in here, but you actually sound pretty good. So you can stay in here if you like. And she oh. had just hired a um, drum tutor and she worked really hard to try and get me a slot and I worked really hard with my mum convincing her that this wasn't going to be a fad yeah you know, but yeah and it's not so, a fad yeah. is it <laughs> no no I mean I knew it wasn't going to be a fad because well I was never a kid that was like that like I didn't have many hobbies and I didn't pick things up then drop them but I knew it wasn't going to be that way with this because of how it the feeling it gave me inside and that I was pretty much obsessed from like day one you know yeah. it was mine so I wasn't going to give that up no strong and the um you know you went to the academy for contemporary music yeah right so that that was quite a leap from from the age of 14 to how old were you when that when you went there 18 yeah 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 okay so you accelerated in four years like nothing else yeah pretty much like yeah I <laughs> I went to the West Suffolk College and studied music there and it was the first year the course had ever been run like it was a brand new course music performance so it had its its teething problems but yeah I did well there and I just was sort of getting different drum lessons from other places like outside of Suffolk mm. as well like I was traveling a lot um self-funding stuff by having a job in a law firm and yeah like I was always on the go it was always very much it's just drums and nothing else yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. And whilst coming up through the ranks, I mean, let's face it, you're pretty much one of, well, the number one woman drummer in the world. We're putting <laughs> you in that position today. Uh, I'm sure you are, actually, if you're completely honest. But um, didn't you find it tough getting through the ranks, being a woman? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, I did, actually. It's not so, it's not like that now. I think at my level, the people I work with, the men I work with, they're, they're my equal and they treat me as such. But mm. when I was younger, 
especially in college university level I was the only girl on my course and I think I was met with quite a lot of hostility I think it was probably intimidation and so I was often left without a band like you'd have to make bands and stuff at college level and you know the guys didn't want to pair up with me or work with me or whatever and um oh I hate that (laughs) and then when you'd when pubs had live music uh you know they'd have jam sessions it doesn't happen so much now but there would often be like older men that would be like are you gonna get up and have a little go and it was like that's so patronizing <laughs> like and then I'd play them under the table and then they'd be like oh, I'm sorry yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. there's a bit yeah. of joy in that definitely <laughs> yeah now yeah of course now if you walk back into those pubs you can talk about the various artists that you work with I mean you work with Becky Hill yeah she's great She's amazing. Yeah, she is. Mm. She's worked really hard uh, to get where she is today. And I've learned a lot from her, actually. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And then also, I think, is it um, I mentioned earlier, you work currently with High Contrast? Yes, I do. Again, he's a big inspiration. Right. Really, because Mm. I first heard of High Contrast when I was at uni. Um, he was sort of my go-to for the drum and bass music that I'm like really into, really pioneering actually, mm. a friend that showed his music to me. And then when I got, I got the email of asking if I wanted to drum for High Contrast when I was on tour with the Pet Shop Boys and I laughed. I was like, are you for real? I was like the High Contrast because I think with the Pet Shop Boys, they're obviously older than me I don't I wasn't born during the 80s so Mm. it was I had to do my research Mm -hmm. on on the boys and their music and stuff but high contrast is like I know I knew who he was I was Mm. a fan Mm. so that was that was completely different yeah how amazing I've always wanted to know this aren't you absolutely exhausted after drum drumming even one drum and bass song yeah that that is so true and I'm so glad you've actually like said that and 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 realized because Mm. you know when you do a gig you'll have um someone from the side of stage bringing you bottles of water mine never gets opened i don't get a chance to to (laughs) sip water and take photos of the crowd you know a lot of my my colleagues that are on that gig with me they can stop and take selfies and look up with a huge crowd not me my Mm. arms and legs don't stop for the entire (laughs) duration which is like an hour of playing things that are 174 bpm and above it's (laughs) yeah a massive workout it is definitely. Uh, I've yeah. never seen live drum and bass, but I tell you, if, if you've heard of a band called Supergrass, they their drummer drummed really fast as well. And I actually thought that he was going to faint at the end of every <laughs> gig that I ever went to. No, it's in it's well, incredibly fast. You know, um, the drummer from Block Party got a collapsed lung from uh, from the no. same sort of thing. Yes, from drumming uh, really hard and fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shocking. Uh, but I, <laughs> I can understand why you'd have lots of drummers in a drum and bass setup or a gig because, you know, you actually do need to rest at some point. There isn't it. There's just me. There isn't another drummer. It's just well, me on my own. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to that. I've got another question about that later. Okay. So you've also worked with Guy Chambers and Guy Chambers obviously is very famous for writing a lot of Robbie Williams songs. How did you get involved yeah. with him? Well, we uh, when I finished university, the week after... The BBC called my university and asked, did they know any drummers that had sort of overcome some sort of adversity 
in their lives and music had helped them. And my tutor at the time said, I think I might know someone. I mean, he didn't know anything about me other than that I was a good drummer. So he he asked and I said, yep, I pretty much fit that description. Mm-hmm. And I had to do like a video audition for that and I got it. Mm-hmm. So it was called Goldie's Band by Royal Appointment. So it was back in 2010 on mm-hmm. BBC Two. Uh, there was 12 musicians, 12 of us. And uh, there was a like a we had mentors. So Goldie, the DJ artist, was one of them. Guy Chambers, Soweto Kintz, the sax player, wow. Miss Dynamite. Yeah, there was quite quite an all star lineup, really. Yeah, how amazing! And you were just yeah. you were saying you were at college at that point, so you must have been fairly much in awe of them all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't I didn't know Guy Chambers back story or like what he had done until I was told by some other people and then mm-hmm. I realized that pretty much everything he'd ever written was like a number one or massive hit mm-hmm. so yeah I had I had utmost respect from mm-hmm. from day one yeah no, that's bad. and what about Goldie have you worked with him in any other have you played with him yeah we did so off the back of that show we did a couple of things together gigs together as the whole project like the all 12 musicians we did some recording together and then i did some remote drum recording for goldie on one of his records i think yeah Yeah. so i don't i don't know if he ended up using it but i know that i did the recordings and sent them back so Yeah. yeah you're listening to Susanna hornby talking to africa green here on the suffolk pod show we could we could carry on, but I think we'd better move on because I definitely want to talk to you about the group that you're involved with right at the moment here in Bury, moving on completely to BSC okay. 4BL. Can you tell us what that's about? Okay, so it was set up after the protest in uh, June on Angel Hill about after the murder of George Floyd, mm-hmm. and it was set up by a lady called Evelyn Polk. She set up the um, protest. I went down because I'd never been to a protest before, and being a mixed race woman, I have definitely experienced racism in the past, but I've never said anything. I've never voiced any concern. It's just one of these things that it happens to you from a really young age and you just kind of ignore it because it happens quite often. So what can you do if every time you're outraged and you say something, you're, you're going to get exhausted. So I went down to the protest and thought, not much was going to happen. Not many people were going to turn up. And I, I was completely wrong. I mean, there was, everybody was out. It felt like the whole of Barry Snedmans had joined on Angel Hill. Mm. And I actually got to speak in front of everybody and sort of talk about some of those problems that I'd faced. And afterwards, Evelyn put a message out on Facebook because she had set up a Facebook page, mm-hmm. but it wasn't called BSC for BL then. It was just for the protest, just a mm-hmm. Facebook page for the protest. And she was, said she was looking for other people to help run this newly formed group. You know, she mm-hmm. said she wanted to do something with it afterwards. So I said, yeah, I'd like to be part of this, but I think we probably need to call it something else other than Black Lives Matter because they've already had, that movement has had some negativity associated with some of the things that have been happening in America. And I think if we're going to approach this in Bury St. Edmunds and Suffolk, we need to switch our approach. Mm. It needs to be slightly different. Um, and so we came up with a name, Bury St. Edmunds for Black Lives, and we're about promoting Black Lives and ethnic minority lives in Bury St Edmunds mm. and celebrating them and educating people 
I mm. think. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you're writing a column. Yeah, yes, we we have a monthly column in the Berry Free Press. Yeah. So yeah, we we had one. Was it this? Yeah, it was yeah this month. Mm. Um, and we covered why it's not okay to have blackface and the history of blackface because there was an incident in Suffolk where a teacher thought it was okay to black up their face for Halloween, mm. and that's not okay. And we instead of naming and shaming, there's there's you know that's not how you deal with things we just wanted to talk about the history of it and why it's not okay and how how offensive it can actually be so yeah mm-hmm. yeah no i mean so it's educational as well as trying to generally change opinion through through your facebook page for your for your article that you're doing and Have you had any positive results or feedback from it yet? Well, definitely. Yesterday we went into the West Suffolk College for Black History Month Mm -hmm. and we did a talk to a group of students there and that was really well received and we're going to be working with the college on setting up like a diversity group with both students and staff Mm. and looking at how they can be more inclusive in, in their edu- yeah in mm. their educational establishment mm. and we met Lem Sisse yesterday who's he said well he's a really uh, well-known poet uh-huh. and writer mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure he said when we listened to his speech that he was a doctor five times right he has five doctorates that's insane Good grief. I mean, like I know like so really he was really inspirational so we've taken a lot of great points from him and we looked at how he would approach things you know mm. so it's been it very very um i found so far that suffolk's been really um open to change actually there's been the occasional person that says something but on the whole mm. barry's been very receptive yeah. so yeah i mm. think it's changed dramatically over the last 10 12 years seen it happen in front of yeah. our own eyes basically the whole dynamic of the town completely different today uh-huh mm. yeah so where do, um, where do we, how do we get involved with that? What do, where can we go and join or or visit to read more? Well, we have a website mm-hmm. that's being launched, and it's at bseforbl.co.uk. Okay, quite straightforward. Um, Facebook's always a, a easy way to find us. Again, it's the same BSE for BL. Okay, um, and just yeah, people just can come and contribute. There's no. It's just you can do whatever, really. We try and work on people's strengths. You know, some people come and say, oh, I'll just do whatever. But it's nice if people come with a sense of if they've got an area of passion mm-hmm. or they feel they have expertise in something because then we can probably gain more traction that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to talk about the whole idea of putting your memoirs together. The reason why I wrote a memoir to begin with is once – I had got the Pet Shop Boys gig and started to get a little bit more well-known. I'd get a lot of comments from people who'd be like, you're living the dream or um, you're really lucky or um, things like that. And it felt like when they said it, they would often be counting themselves out of of the chance of doing something like that. Like, oh, I wish I could do that. Mm. But then you could just see that there was sort of like a sadness, like they could never do it or... I had some sort of special thing that they didn't. And for a while I'd be quite sheepish and sort of like shrug it off and laugh. But actually I realized that I'm doing people a disservice because they don't know the truth about actually how difficult it was to get where I am and all the issues I faced along the way and how I was ready to give up. Mm. They don't know that they just see, you know, Afi's doing all these amazing things. And I think I have a duty of, 
care to people to tell them the truth and that resilience is something that you really have to have. Mm. Do you know what I mean? No, like, I do know not, what you mean. I didn't, yeah. So, yeah. No, I, do, I agree. And I think, you know, from that, you will inspire so many others to keep going and try not to give up. And also, yeah, I want to do that. And I want people to know that they're not their instrument, like, or their passion. So once you, you're really passionate about something and you do it all the time and then you're trying to do it as a job. So it stops being a hobby and starts being something that you try to make money from. Anytime you don't get somewhere with it, you deem that as a failure of yourself, about yourself, like mm. you're no good. And actually that's quite dangerous. And I didn't realize that happened, that was happening to me until quite far on down the line. Mm that we do have a life separate and an identity separate to the passion that we might have. Mm. We still count and we still matter, even if that thing that we're trying to push for so hard is not working at that time. Mm. Yeah. Quite powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, mm-hmm. when are you going to release this book? <laughs> I wish I had a definitive date. I mean, right now I'm working on editing with my writing coach and also pitching it to literary agents. So if there's anyone out there. Yeah, you <laughs> heard literary her. Agents, yeah, you know, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, but I guess it will depend on, you know, that aspect of things, the agent picking it up and yeah. then talks with the publisher. But I'm in good spirits. I think I can do it and I'm staying positive. So I'll definitely let people know on from my website and all my social media platforms Great. when when it does, when I get any sort of, uh, if it gets picked up anywhere along the line. So, yeah. Super. All right. That's good. So, mm. um, yeah. And you're always welcome to come back and speak to us again when, it, when you're ready um, about Yay. the book. Yeah. <laughs> that's so exciting. No. <laughs> right. We've got some questions for you. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah, I'm ready. Right. What's the best live music experience you've ever had? So the best live experience I've ever had, I'd say, would be Rock in Rio in Brazil with the Pet Shop Boys. We played in front of 100,000 people. Oh, wow. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't think that can be beaten. Right. Okay. Are you ready for your next question? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Who do you think is or was the best drummer ever in the world? Well, I've got three. Mm-hmm. Two of them, people won't even know who they are. Because once, you, once you're like a session musician, you tend to find like these underground players. So I can name them for you, but yeah. I don't think the audience will know. Okay. Damien Schmidt. So he's a French player. Mm-hmm. And I met him, I actually got to meet him in Paris when we were on tour. And we went to a little bar. And we had we we had snails. I and I just wanted to be. I wanted him to think I was so cool. I ate them all, and then he was re- being really sweet. And he was like, "I've ordered more," and I was like, "Please, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this." <laughs> and and you, you're still good friends. I take it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. He was, yeah, he was really cool. I just tried to be too cool, and it really backfired. <laughs> oh, that always happens. And and who else? Who's the other drummer? Uh, Jojo Mayer. I think he's from Switzerland. He's really cool. He's drum and bass, drum live, drum and bass. His hands are so quick; it's unbelievable. Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, and then Steve Gadd. So he's pretty. He's like a household name. He's played on everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. He's cool. And now the very last question. Are you ready? This one is yeah. from Mark because he particularly wants to ask you this one. Have you ever dropped your sticks? <laughs> yeah, on the daily. That's how, that happens all the time. Um, on a gig, not so much because you tend to like tense up a little bit so you don't drop them. But I always have a stick bag open at the ready so I can just quickly whip another one out. Always, Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I can imagine there's one thing dropping them, but, you know, the speed you're playing, you could actually hurt someone it's like a weapon flying that far i could i could take someone's eye out (laughs) definitely right (laughs) thank you afi we're going to leave it there can you just give us your website it's www.africagreen.com lovely and thank you to you for spending this time with us we've really enjoyed it thank you okay we'll see you soon yeah thank you bye bye Thanks for listening to the Suffolk Pod Show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or you can visit our website, podtalk.co.uk. And here's our disclaimer. The Suffolk Pod Show will not be held responsible for any omissions or errors in its podcast. The Suffolk Pod Show is produced purely for entertainment purposes. Views and opinions are that of our own or that of our guests.